afternoon or night, whenever you decide to roll out of bed, we're your hosts, Kristen Hoyles and Sarah Yako. And welcome to our podcast, Waking Up with Millennials. This week, Sarah speaks with Mina Lee. Mina is an interior designer focused on affordable housing projects in Portland, Oregon. So Sarah, what about Mina inspired you to learn more about her story? Well, I haven't known Mina for very long, but she's actually a coworker of mine. We work at the same company, but in different studios. And when Mina and I first met, it was maybe a few weeks after I moved to Portland, a few weeks after I started working at our company. And we were in a rep event. It was like a lunch thing where reps come and bring their materials. And, you know, we learn about new things that we can apply to our projects. And she was sitting across from me. And (laughs) we talk about this in the interview, actually. But she very quickly said something along the lines of, good luck. It's hard to make friends in Portland. And like the way that she said it was as if, I wasn't going to make friends and that she wasn't going to be my friend either. (laughs) So I was like, what the heck? (laughs) And, and I was like, okay, I don't really care. Like, I don't know you, but the fact that she was so straight up with me about that was like kind of hilarious to me. And I didn't, I wasn't put off by the fact that she said that. And at the time, like, I didn't care about making friends. Like I was cool with knowing the people that I knew, even though they were far away at that point. But then a few months later, we met up again at another work event and both of us had been mulling that moment over. And apparently she felt terrible about saying that (laughs) and ended up apologizing to me, knowing like how it came off. And from that moment, we became friends. And I just have found her to be a very deep soul like a she's just a very intuitive person and I just knew that there was a bigger story there and something more that was influencing the way that she was going about life because she just seemed so mature and she is a few years younger than me as well and just the way that she was holding herself that that very first comment that she was just so blunt about I was like there's something to this girl that needs to be shared and her perspective should should be out there. And I actually learned a lot from her from this conversation. So let's get into it. I live in Portland, Oregon. I moved out here from Ohio for a job. And I work as an interior designer at Sarah Architects. And right now I design for affordable housing. And as an example, a current project is affordable housing for the Urban League of Portland, which is a Black organization that helps support the Black community. And this specific project is to help elderly Black Americans get off the streets. That's awesome. I did not know about that project. That's super cool. Yeah. When you were younger, did you imagine yourself in this role, being an interior designer and working on affordable housing projects like this? No, not at all. I never thought I would be a designer or an interior designer. When I was a kid, I was really ambitious and I wanted to be a world leader. I thought I would go into politics, actually. When I was in college and actually doing interior design, 
I wanted to be like a high-end designer, like working for Nike or the Ritz-Carlton hotels, something that's just attached to big names. That's, so a, I did pretty not big, that's yeah. a pretty big difference. What changed there? How'd you go from wanting to basically be president to wanting to design <laughs> fancy things? We'll, we'll probably get more into this later, but when I went into college, I didn't really have much of a choice in what I wanted to do. So I kind of just picked the first college that accepted me, which happened to be the interior design program. But I mean, I think probably when I was like hitting puberty, that's around when I was like, yeah, I probably won't be a world leader. So (laughs) I was just open to other things by then. (laughs) So you said that you didn't really have much of a choice What exactly does that mean? That's when my family just shifted drastically, my family situation, and that included financials. So I honestly just didn't think I had a lot of opportunity to apply to many colleges purely from financials. So I only applied to affordable colleges because even applying is money. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't think that I had that money to do so. Mm -hmm. So I only did, (laughs) I was planning on doing only local colleges, but I ended up only doing one application and they accepted me right away, which was interior design. And so I just jumped right into it. (laughs) What university did you end up going to? It was University of Cincinnati in Ohio. You know, given that it sounds like there was a turn in the financials in your family, but then you did, you know, follow through with a path in college. Did you feel prepared or supported in that journey through your college experience to your career today? Throughout the years in college specifically, I felt very alone, I guess, but it wasn't because my professors weren't there for me necessarily. I think I just had a very different idea of what I wanted to do and they didn't understand mostly because I couldn't communicate it clearly. (laughs) But (laughs) I think I just always wanted to be different. I always wanted to stand out. I always wanted to be useful. And while going through college, I initially wanted to be a high-end designer, a famous designer maybe. And towards the end of college, I just wanted to be a very engaging designer that helps the community. And back then, I mean, this was like six years ago, six to five years ago, a lot of the ideas I had wasn't really popular. So it was hard for me to find mentors and resources And I wouldn't say it's not that they didn't exist. They just weren't very tangible in my uh, circumstance. So as a fellow designer, I know how hard it can be to convey ideas that you have and why those unique ways of approaching things might be difficult for other people to understand, even within the industry. What were some of those concepts? So I'll tell you about two. The first one, it was... I think my idea was just too futuristic. (laughs) You probably know Metropolis Magazine. Mm -hmm. And they had a competition 
when I was around 20 about the office of the future, 2020. <laughs> and it, I did a team project. So it was with a group. And this idea that I had was talking about sustainability. I think everyone else was focusing on just creating a really nice and healthy workplace. And in my mind, I was thinking, okay, but I want to envision a sustainable world. I want this, I want a workplace on a train. I want it to be very futuristic. I want everything to be touchscreen. And it was just like things like that, that, you know, it just didn't exist. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of conjure everything up out of my imagination to convey the idea. But until I got to that final product, everyone was totally lost on what I was trying to say. So that would be my first example. Mm -hmm. And then my second example was my capstone. That one was all about social engagement. And this was in 2010, 2011. And my focus was on Black history and urban development and racism and the whole process and the industry. And every time I talk about it, I would be treated like a negative Nancy. And even when I was presenting all the data that I found, I got a lot of counters to it. People felt very offended that I would say things like this was in Cincinnati. So Cincinnati is one of the most impoverished cities in the nation, actually, the poverty level is higher than the national average. And one out of four kids are under the poverty line mm -hmm. in the city. And it has a really long history of racism and its development. But when I present that information, even established architects that were on the panel, they would say, but did you know that Cincinnati also did this? Did you know Cincinnati also did that. And I understand that it should be considered, but it just also wasn't my point. Yeah. So yeah, throughout the process, it kind of felt like they wanted to focus on something else entirely. Mm -hmm. So that was an area where I was, I didn't uh, feel a lot of support with. Yeah. It sounds like mm, there's just that pushback where it's like, you know, look at, look at the things that we're, we've done and look at the things that we're doing. But at the same time, there's still so much other work to be had and so many details to go back through and to continue mm -hmm. improvements. And it sounds like you were on a, a really interesting path to dive into that. And it really sucks that you weren't given the outlets and opportunities to, you know, even feel like you should be diving into that. Yeah, definitely. I I definitely think I got some trauma <laughs> just thinking that I thought I was doing the right work, but having so much pushback telling me that I'm not. Yeah. It sounds like a bit of a fight, but I do want to go back if you're willing to talk about it, the financial troubles that your family was experiencing. I want to start saying that I had a relatively nice childhood. My family was pretty tight. I felt supported. And we kind of started as penny pinchers. You know, I didn't 
get new clothes. I always got hand-me-downs and things like that. But then we moved up to the upper middle class. And that was probably the experience of most of my childhood. But I always felt kind of lonely because my parents weren't the most doting parents. They didn't help me with my schoolwork. They didn't help me socialize. And we moved around a lot. So I never had the opportunity to build lasting friendships. In my preteen years, I started having depression, not for any big reason. It's not like something started it or triggered it. I think it was just from all this loneliness I felt around then. It was really hard for me to make friends Mm -hmm. because I was never taught how to open myself up. Then at 16, my dad left my family. I didn't get a goodbye or anything about it. And that really heightened my depression level. And it it just went downhill from there. In high school, my performance kind of deteriorated. I'm not going to say I was an F person, though. (laughs) It just went downhill, like for a Korean American. (laughs) That kind of meant I just became a C student. But... I I just stopped putting work into it. I really stopped caring about classes as much. And back then, I really wanted to go into fine arts, but I stopped making art. So I didn't even have a portfolio when college time came up. And that was definitely a hindrance in just me thinking about my future. And then also with my dad leaving, because it was so unexpected, I wasn't sure about what the financials would be like because my dad was the moneymaker in the family and he had just left. My family, we immigrated here. So my mom had to give up work since she didn't really know English very well. So she was just a housewife and she didn't have a source of income. And she also went into severe depression for a few years. In the end, my dad didn't financially cut us out. He helped pay for my college and so on. But I think I had abandonment issues at the time. And I just wasn't aware of it because I didn't know how to express it, that my mental health was so bad. I I just want to say this because I know a lot of kids go through things like this. So I kind of want to just like get real with it. Yeah. I had to take care of my younger brother. I had to raise him and he's 10 years younger than me starting from when I was 16. Mm -hmm. And when my high school graduation came, there was no celebration for it. My mom just mentally, she just wasn't there. And then I went into college. I had to move myself then. I didn't get any help. And I didn't get to do the dorms because, again, the whole finances thing. And I was just constantly thinking about my family throughout college. And the thoughts of, will I be able to afford college? Am I going to graduate? Is my mom going to be okay? Are they going to end up homeless since they didn't have an income? And I thought, am I going to be homeless? (laughs) And it was just a, it was a real battle with my own mental health because this was, these were all just thoughts. There was nothing tangible about all these worries. It was just so much fear in my head. It really impacted my college performance too. I'm not going to say I did poorly. I think I think I did pretty well. I'm pretty proud of myself. But 
when you wake up and you already have a minor form of depression, so you have just no energy, which caused me to skip a lot of my classes. And my first year, my teacher was like, I think you need to drop out because I, I was definitely not doing well my first year. I didn't get it. I didn't understand what they wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't know how to ask for help. And, and just the social aspect of it was also, it was just very hard. It's really hard to have a normal conversation when you're thinking about if your mom is doing well or is she even alive? I definitely worried about that. Mm -hmm. It hindered my ability to make friends because I felt like I had to just pretend to be normal, but it was just so not myself. So that also made it harder for me to open up. But at the same time, I feel like my mental health was kind of just like a different personality. It wasn't entirely me. Mm -hmm. And I'm really proud of myself. When my professor told me to drop out, I didn't give up there. But I feel like I kind of needed it. I'm a tough love person, Mm -hmm. definitely. And it was a wake-up call. And when she told me that, it just made me want to try harder Mm -hmm. and prove her wrong. And I did. I was telling you about the Metropolis Magazine competition. And when people were pushing me back saying they didn't understand what I wanted, what I was trying to do, I just worked harder to show them exactly what I meant. And it ended up receiving honorable mention and it was published in the magazine. That's so great. (laughs) Like, I'm really proud of myself. (laughs) But... Even after graduation, my mental health problems still continued. And I had a lot of ups and downs. I wasn't constantly depressed. I think people who know mental health very well, it's just kind of like waves where suddenly you lose this desire for anything. You lose attachments. You don't want to form relationships. You're kind of like a robot. My real turning point in life was when I hit rock bottom. And that was probably a few months before I met you. Whoa, okay. Yeah, before, so before the time you told me that I wasn't going to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before that time, when I said that, I was on my healing house. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but... Just to give a full story, two years ago, when I kind of stopped being engaging at work and when I was scared that I would get fired, that was when I heard that my little brother had attempted suicide. Oh my gosh. And I never felt like I did a good job at uh, raising him. And I don't blame myself because I know I was only 16. I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. But it just hit me so hard. Again, it's something that I definitely brought to work. Everything in my life changed. And I just took a huge hit. I can't even imagine if he actually did it, if it wasn't just an attempt. I, I just went straight downhill. I never sought treatment. I didn't have a support group at the time. I didn't have friends. 
then last year I really hit bottom and it was actually at work. I just couldn't even work anymore. And I was in the bathroom crying and I had a lot of really dark thoughts. I want to believe like the core part of me pushed against that. And, and that's when I was just pushed to the point where I knew that I needed to get help. And I went to therapy. It helped so much just to have a person to talk to who wasn't there to judge and just letting all these things out that I wasn't able to communicate to anyone and I didn't know how to communicate it and also being told that I'm not crazy and being told that I was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And from there, that's when I picked myself back up and it was definitely an effort. (laughs) Like I said, <laughs> when I met you, <laughs> and when I told you that you weren't going to make any friends, <laughs> as soon as I said it, I regretted it. I was just like, why did I say that? And then why did I walk away right after I said it? <laughs> it did leave me wondering for so many months until we actually became friends. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to kind of give that full history, that full context of how dark and how low I got and how Mm -hmm. it impacted all of my relationships and my performance and even how people perceived me. Because Mm -hmm. when I wasn't sharing anything with them, sometimes a negative perception does come out of it. It just made me think about all the other people that I have seen who maybe weren't showing great performance at work or people who also had a hard time forming relationships. And I'm sure you've experienced this when people are talking and they talk about someone in a negative tone, like Mm -hmm. they're going to be the black sheep. Yeah. That's when it kind of clicked for me. This is so much about mental health and you can't blame them. You have to help them. And something that I always wished for was someone to just take the time to listen and to ask me questions, even if they're questions that I feel uncomfortable with, mm-hmm. which is real. Like, I appreciate you so much, Sky, because you are so <laughs> blunt. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, where, where are you now? In, with yourself and also with your career, do you do you feel like you're in a good place with that? Are you happy with everything? I'm so content with everything now. And I feel like I don't have depression anymore. Nowadays, everything is just like, I show everything. I'm, I'm very transparent. There is nothing that you do not know. Well, thank you for sharing some of your past today that I haven't learned via our actual hangouts. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you being open about that. That's yeah, that kind of stuff is hard to share. So you're feeling good about where you are in your career right now and are you excited about where things are going? Yeah. I think I've been able to establish what kind of role I want to do. It took some begging. <laughs> <laughs> such as I really want to do affordable housing (laughs) and having to say that consistently for almost a year before I was finally put on those projects. But now that I'm there, 
and being able to share what my visions are, but also learning a lot from people who have been doing this for years. I just have a very full sense of who I am as a designer and who I want to be. And right now I feel very supported by everyone. That always just starts with communication. Mm -hmm. I wish I knew all of this. I wish someone (laughs) told me all of this when I was younger. (laughs) I know, exactly. A decade ago. (laughs) (laughs) That is the point, isn't it? It's like when, you know, when you're going through this process, when you're going through those hard times, it's like, why isn't anyone telling me how to get through this? (laughs) Yeah. And back then you don't know, you feel like it's impossible. Yeah. And everybody's journey is different and unique, you know? So it's, once you get to the point where you are now, it's like, how can you really, how can you really tell someone who's, you know, 18, 19, like starting their college career or, you know, going through a similar situation to what you've gone through? Like, how can you really tell them what their journey is going to look like? You you can't, but <laughs> you can share, you can share your story. And I am very, very appreciative that you have your, shared your story. And it sounds like you're in a much better place than when we started off this conversation, you know, not from like this past hour or whatever, but you know, yeah. your journey through life. And that's, that's great to hear. And I really appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Thank you. Mina talks about wanting to stand out and be different and receiving pushback for her futuristic ideas that actually ended up getting international recognition in a magazine competition where she won honorable mention. And a lot of these ideas are actually things that are taking place now, which is super cool to know that she was really ahead of the curve and the way that she was thinking actually is starting to come to fruition. And that was validated through her winning in this competition. So I'm wondering, Kristen, if you have had ideas along the way in your journey that others told you to abandon and then you find out some fucking cuck up the street has been doing this shit all along. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) There hasn't, I haven't had an idea that others have discouraged me from pursuing that I later came back around and was like, ha, in your face, like this totally panned out and everything worked out. Like that hasn't happened for me yet. I would say it's more of, I wish I wasn't so quick to abandon ideas. I mean, I think that's pretty amazing with Mina that she, despite hearing that, she still pursued it and has received recognition for it and stood by her initial ideas. But I, I'm not at that point in my journey where things have come back around yet, mm-hmm. um, but we'll see. What about you? What are, you've had, I feel like your your brain is like one of those brain types where you can see a color and then it reminds you of a smell, which will then remind you of some sort of movement, which takes your brain to all of these different corners and you connect things in ways that most people don't. So I'm sure that there have been ideas along your journey where people may have either discouraged you. And how did you respond to that? To clarify, I do not have synesthesia. At least I don't, (laughs) at least I don't think so. And that is exactly what you're describing where it's like there, 
people who have synesthesia could perceive that colors have a smell or like colors have a sound or that that smells make music or something along those lines, just like associations with things become something else, like a different sense is assigned to those things. And I definitely don't have that, but thanks for saying I have an interesting brain, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) In regards to this question, I feel like there have been times in life where I've had ideas for things and was told that I shouldn't pursue them or like was looked at like I'm crazy. For me, I feel like it's always been like little things, like not big project ideas or anything like that, that Mina has, you know, with with the project that she ended up winning and getting that recognition for. I would say that hasn't necessarily been the case for me, but it's just like at this point in my life, I have started to think back on those times where I was young and being creative and being weird. And I was being treated as such as like a weirdo and like someone to be like, I don't know, told that they were doing everything wrong. And I never felt that I was. So now I'm just like in this process of rethinking those things. And because of that, I am allowing my creativity to be much more open again and tap into some of those more youthful ways of thinking and and approaching life. And I'm actually finding so much reward in doing that. And I've like come to learn that all of the shaping I've had in my life is by people who just didn't know how to think outside the box. And they wanted me to stay in the box because they didn't know what I was doing. Mm. And, and then now I'm just at this place where I've realized how much conditioning has been involved in my life and how much I didn't need to listen to any of that shit and could have just gone my own way which that song is always in my head, actually. You know, it's like, you can go your own way. (laughs) Go your own way. (laughs) Yes, clearly both of us are really good singers too. (laughs) But that song is always in my head because that's sort of how I'm thinking about things now. And I've just learned that it's okay to just go my own way and do that and trust myself. Because why am I listening to these other people? What authority do they have in my life? You know? So when it comes to like working at a job for the first time, especially if you're getting into your first professional job straight out of college, there are certain needs that you need to have addressed. And I think what Mina was discussing was just like, how do you go about asking for mental health? And how do you go about disclosing to your boss that like, hey, I'm having a difficult time mm-hmm. in our 20s, right? We want to act like we can do it all. We want to act like we have, like we're young. So like people are perceiving us as having all of this energy and all these fresh ideas and a positive attitude and enthusiasm for what we're doing. But if we're sitting there struggling, it is hard to live up to that perception mm-hmm. and to live up to that pressure that we're feeling. And no one wants to admit that they're having a difficult time because we don't want people to think we're not capable. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially like when you're in your, your first job. And just as you said, like people are perceiving you as full of energy and excited to be there. And like, you'll work overtime because you are learning and that's what you're expected to do. So it's like, how from that, like, how is anyone in like leadership positions, like getting from that, that anyone starting their first time job would be comfortable saying, Hey, like in Mina's case, I've had someone in my life attempt suicide and I'm having a really hard time. I need a little bit of lenience at work because I'm having a difficult time even being here. 
how do you say that? Like, I don't think a single person in a, you know, their first job would feel comfortable saying that. Yeah, like even for me, like back in the summer when there were other Black Lives Matter protests and like I live in a part of the state that yearns to be the deep south and there's just like all of a sudden there's Confederate flags all over the place. And I just I was on a call with with my manager and I was just kind of like, look, I'm having a really hard time. And I had been at the job for six months and I didn't take a single day off which is pretty crazy given that we were in the middle of a pandemic and I didn't take a single day, a single day off, like not a single personal day for the first, like it was a little over six months. It may have been like seven or eight months at that point. Wow. And my boss was just like, oh my God, you haven't taken any time off. Just take a whole week. And sometimes like just being able to just say it and don't let it get to the point like I did where I was just having such a hard time that not saying it would have been just horribly detrimental to me. So Kristen, after our conversation and after hearing Mina and her story, how do you plan on waking up differently tomorrow? Showing people more grace to be honest, you don't really know the struggles that people have going on in their world. And just extending just a little bit more grace, pausing a little bit. If someone is like maybe difficult to work with or something about them rubs you the wrong way, just not automatically assuming the worst or assuming that like they're lazy or because everyone just needs a break. Everyone just needs rest. And sometimes people can't always get that. And so I think after listening to to Mina describe some of the struggles that have happened in her life and how she has had to overcome them and push through them, I don't want my presence in someone's life to be something that they have to like push through. Like if I was a coworker of Mina's, I, I want to be the person that can say like, Hey, you can take a pause. How can I help you? What's going on? Like, I, I want to be able to show up in that way for the people that are in my life. Cause we all need it. We all need that person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's what I'm, I'm going to take away from this interview is just to, just to extend a little bit more grace to people. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think for me, it's, it's a similar takeaway to that. You know, I I think I always, I always come at people with like my blunt honesty and depending on where people at, that just might not be what they are capable of receiving. And I think just acknowledging that from the get-go and treating people a little bit more kindly from the get-go, even if like, I don't have the space to offer someone that rest or think about offering someone that kind of rest. I think it's just like not putting some sense of burden on them in the first place. And then, you know, Mina was talking about her journey and was talking about how she was closed off to people. And she, like, she had this guard up for fear that people would leave her. And so she was doing that first. So similar to you, you know, if like someone is angry or upset, it's like, you know, giving them grace and understanding that they might be going through something. But I think for me, I don't really care if anyone's mean to me. I, 
I will still engage with them. I'm just like, they're going through a thing, whatever. I'm just going to continue to engage with them. But I think one thing I do try to do if, if, and when people let me in is like, I try to be open enough to the point where it's like, Hey, you can let me in more. Like I'm here to listen and I'm, you know, here to be available to you. And sometimes I feel like that can end up feeling invasive for some people. And what Mina has reminded me of is that some people are just not ready to open up or, or let others in until they are. And so it's allowing that patience to just let that person breathe the way that they want to work through the things that they need to work through in their own time. And when they're ready to open up, they will. And I shouldn't push that. I shouldn't expect that just because we're getting close that they will be willing to share something that they're not ready to share. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Join us every other week for new episodes and insights. In the meantime, check out our blog or contribute to support our mission at liveinthemomentum.com. Special thanks to Eric Heibretter for our theme song and audio production. If you feel like you have a story to share, reach us at info at liveinthemomentum.com.